We're starting a short series. It's in the book of Jonah. If uh, many of you have heard of Jonah, and probably if you've heard of Jonah or know the story, there's an image coming to your mind right now. And that's of Jonah and a whale. That's the predominant image that we think of is this story of this man and this well. But I want you to know that this is so much more than the story of a man and a whale. We often get caught up in uh, that. But it's a story about a man and God and how God will accomplish his purpose regardless of if we submit to his will or not. God is over all things and he will use Jonah in spite of Jonah's disobedience. Now I do want to tell you this is a very, what some would call strange book. It's a story that you look at and there's some odd things in it. But it is a book that's straight from the word of God. It's a book that jo uh, Jesus he mentions Jonah. Jesus believed this book to be true. I believe it to be true. It's the word of God. So we look at it and we say, we believe this is what happened. Though we also look and we go, this is a unique story that we're looking at. Now, as we look at the story, we're not meant to merely hear a story and go, okay, I've heard that story. It's good. We're meant to be transformed by what God is teaching us about ourselves and about him through this story. Now, if I mention the Great Commission, many of you are familiar with God's call to his people, to the church in the Great Commission, to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know, for the most part, that God has called his people to have a concern about reaching those who don't know the gospel. About reaching those in other cultures, in other people groups who don't know of who he is. That's a call for all Christians. We're all to pray toward that end. To celebrate that, to be a part of what God is doing in and among the nations. We even say that's our mission statement is to, bring, uh, to glorify God um, by the nation to make disciples of all nations to bring glory to God. That's our purpose as a church. So that shouldn't surprise most of us. But for many, we forget that in the Old Testament, God was still using his people to reach those who had never heard about the one true God. Yet in the Old Testament, we see God's people Israel in large part, they refuse to obey, and Jonah is a picture of that refusal to obey God's call to be light to the nations. God raised up this peculiar nation in the Old Testament called Israel, and they were to be his people, but they were to go and spread the good news and the love of God and the worship of God to all peoples on the earth, and they failed to do that. So today we're looking at Jonah, we're looking at an unwilling missionary. Jonah will be a missionary. When I use the term missionary, here's what we mean by that is someone who crosses a geographical line, who leaves their home, moves to another place, they maybe cross a language line, they cross a cultural line. They're going somewhere other than where they're from for the purpose 
of seeing the kingdom of God advance, for the purpose of seeing the good news of Jesus spread, for the purpose of building and spreading the church. That's what a missionary is. And we're a church that part of our history is that we were started in the 1940s by missionaries. So it's a beautiful part of our history. Yet we're a church made of people from all different backgrounds and professions while we have many people here. That if you said, what is your vocation? You might say, hey, I'm a missionary. We're also a church that has many people that move here to serve in embassies from all over the world that serve in the African Union. We have people that move here to work in business. We have people that move here to work in NGOs. So we have people from all over the world who may not say their title is a missionary, but they've moved here. And then we have people, we are so blessed as a church. I believe one of the greatest strengths of IEC is that we are blessed with people who have called IEC home for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. This has been your church home. God has used you in this church. That's the stability. That's the strength of the church. So we're so grateful that we have a rich, large group of Ethiopians. That's the majority of our church, and we're so grateful for that. But here's what I want you to know. Regardless of what brought you to Ethiopia, or what brought you to IEC, or what vocational hat you will wear, we are all called... And within our neighborhoods, within our jobs, to take the gospel to those who haven't heard. We're all called to the task of sharing the good news. That's something for all of us. No one escapes that. We're all called to do that. And Jonah, what we're going to see is he was called to do that, like some in our body, in a cross-cultural context. Yet Jonah, he's an illustration of what a missionary is not to do. Jonah is not an obedient missionary. He's actually very selfish, very sinful. He has a terrible attitude. He's prejudiced against people. So he's an example of characteristics that a missionary actually should not have. So we learn from him. And Jonah, one of the things he hates, he hates that God loves his enemy. That God wants to take the news that he is the one true God worthy of worship by all of creation to this group of people known as the Assyrians from this city, Nineveh. Now, as we look at this story, I also want you to see yourself in it. Sometimes we read scripture and we think of other people, but I want you to see yourself in it because today I've titled this message, Man on the Run, because Jonah is going to run. And we're going to see that in some ways we all have run from God. And whether we admit it or not, we continue at times to run from God. Now there's ways that people run from God in, in, in the big picture sort of thing. Meaning, hey, I'm going to deny God. I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to obey him. I'm not going to acknowledge him as God. But then for many, we run from God in the little picture sort of things. I'm not going to give up this habit that is leading me to sin. I'm not going to 
allow God to be over my finances or allow him to be over my time or my relationships. And I'm going to run from him and not allow him to have control of that area. So what we're going to see today is that we all run from God in some ways. Now this book, Jonah, it's read every year by the Jewish people on a day called Yom Kippur. That's the day of atonement, the day that they remember repentance. And what repentance is, is saying, I'm a sinner and I'm turning back to God. That's what this book's about. It's about recognizing our sin and running back to God. And we're going to see that in this book. So let's go ahead and turn to Jonah. It's in your Old Testament. If you have trouble finding it, that's okay. It's a hard book to find. It's only two pages long. So feel free to use your table of contents. We'll also have the words on the screen. So if you would, please, let's stand as we read God's Word. And um, as we read this book of Jonah, we're reading all of chapter 1 today. So let's hear the Word of our Lord. Now the Word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and they cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the, the God will give you a thought of us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where are you from? And what country? And what uh, people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, 
Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as, you, as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word declares that all men are like grass and all our glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word stands forever. May this be the word that is faithfully preached today, Lord. We recognize unless you speak, nothing of eternal significance will be spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, our passage starts off with a phrase that is common in the Old Testament. This phrase is actually used more than a hundred times in the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came. Over and over again, we see prophets in the Old Testament. Jonah is considered one of 12, what we call minor, meaning they're shorter prophets. One of 12 minor prophets, but it's unique. It's the only minor prophet that gives a story. All the rest are highly, give lots of prophecy. We get one verse of prophecy in this book. So it's unique. Jonah's also the only man in the Old Testament, the only prophet in the Old Testament that will leave Israel to go take the good news of God Almighty, the one true God that's worthy of worship, to another culture, to another people. So this is a unique book. So the word comes to Jonah. His name means dove. Now I mention that because we only see the dove a couple times in the Bible. The first time is when a man named Noah has just found rest after a flood and a dove goes out and brings him back an olive leaf saying it's safe to leave. The world now is at rest. It's at peace. The second, the other time we see an actual physical dove in the Bible is when Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus as a dove. And we see the dove come and it rests on the person of peace, saying peace on earth will come through this man. So the fact that Jonah's name means dove, the dove is an animal of peace. It's a bird of peace. And the dove is to bring peace where it goes. And that was to be Jonah's message, yet Jonah... He's going to be a disobedient, rebellious, nasty prophet. He's going to be an example of a person that God uses in spite of themselves. Because he's God. And God can even use a rebel. Because in reality, that's who we all are. We've all been rebellious to accomplish his purposes. So... I want to give you an easy, simple outline. We see Jonah pray a prayer of repentance. Chapters 3 and 4, we see the obedience of Jonah. Though it's a reluctant obedience, we see him obedient. 
and we see Jonah with the Ninevites, and then we see Jonah pray a prayer, but his prayer is from a rebellious heart. So what we're going to see in this book are people who do the opposite of what you would think they would do. Jonah's title is prophet of God, yet he's not going to behave very godly. He's not going to act like you would think a prophet should. And in verse 2, the Lord speaks to him and says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. That's the only word of prophecy in the book. God tells Jonah, go tell Nineveh, go call out against it, that their evil is come before me. He tells him to go to this city, Nineveh. Now, you may have heard of Nineveh. Here it's called a great city. But what makes it great? Well, the, Nineveh, the city of Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian people. And the Assyrian people, they were the most powerful people when this book was written. So in the area of the world where Jonah lived, the most powerful people in Jonah's day was the Assyrians. And they were known for their brutality. They were cruel. They were mean. They would come in and conquer people. They would kill. They would rape. They would destroy. They would burn. They would torture. And they would beat other nations into submission. And once they conquered you, they would tax you relentlessly until you were in total poverty. And everyone in Israel, they all knew somebody who had encountered the Assyrians. They were all terrified of the Assyrians. There'll be a nation that'll take over the northern kingdom Israel some 150 years after Jonah goes there. But no one likes the Assyrians. They're all afraid of them. They had learned to skin people alive. That's how cruel they were. So they would torture people by skinning them alive. When you came into this city that's called Great Nineveh, you'd be greeted by a pyramid made out of human skulls. So they conquered, killed people, and then they showed off their violence. They wanted everybody to know, we are to be feared. We are mighty. We are strong. And the Israelites feared and hated them. So that's the type of people that Jonah's called to go to. We see this carry over into the New Testament as well. The Assyrians, they will eventually take over Israel and they will marry with the Israeli people. And the offspring from that union is called the Samaritans. So when you read the New Testament and you see the Samaritans, in Jesus' day, the most despised people by the Jewish people are the Samaritans. These people that were from the Assyrian line. So the hatred for the Assyrians carries over for a long time, and Jonah is called to go to them. In verse 3 it says, But Jonah rose. God tells Jonah, Arise, and Jonah rises to flee to Tarshish. You read verse 3, and it almost reads a little awkwardly because it has this word over and over again, Tarshish, Tarshish. Tarshish. We're meant to hear it. It's a major emphasis. Jonah is called to go to Nineveh. Nineveh 
is some 850 kilometers toward the east, the northeast of Jerusalem, of Israel. Instead, Jonah runs 4,000 kilometers the other way. I've got a map to show you um, what this looks like. So you can see on a map where Jonah goes to the ends of the world, the other direction. He goes as far away from Nineveh as you could. They believed that Spain, that area Tarshish, was as far as you could go. So he runs the complete opposite direction. And here's his goal. His goal is to run from the presence of the Lord. He wants to run from God. And see, that's where we all have something in common with Jonah. In some ways, we all run from God. Again, it may be in the big picture sense like, God, I'm not going to submit to you. I'm not going to acknowledge you as God. I'm not going to trust you as my Savior. I'm not going to do that. Or it may be in the little picture sense where we say, God, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm not giving it up. I'm going to cling to this. I'm going to run from you when you seek to change this in my life. So Jonah runs as far away as he can. Now I mentioned earlier, God had called his people Israel to be light to the world. Look at Isaiah 49.6. It says, It is to light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. This is Old Testament. God's purpose in the Old Testament was that Israel be light to the nations to tell people about salvation that's found in God. That was what Jonah was to do. And Jonah is a picture of what the entire nation was doing. They weren't obeying God. They weren't going out and sharing the good news. That's what we're to be about. So he goes down to Joppa, that's present-day Tel Aviv, and takes off for Tarshish. Now why does Jonah run? This book tells us in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, listen to this. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Why does Jonah run? He runs because of God's grace. God is so gracious that Jonah runs because he doesn't want Nineveh coming to know God. So he runs. He also runs because of God's grace because he knows that God's grace will still forgive him for running. So God's grace is what causes him to run. The goodness of God is why he feels, even though he fears God, he feels free to run because he knows that God is good and gracious. And he doesn't want the Ninevites to come to know God. Again, his goal is to run from the presence of the Lord. Psalm 139 says, uh, verse 7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Know this. There is nowhere where we can go from the presence of God. He is everywhere, yet Jonah seeks to run from God. It is foolishness to seek to run from God. Yet that's exactly what he does. In verse 4, it says, The Lord hurled. We'll hear this word hurled twice in this, in this chapter. This is the first time. God 
hurls a great wind at the sea and raises up a storm. God is over all creation. He can raise up a storm if he wants to. And he raises up a storm and it begins to break up the boat. So much so that in verse 5, the mariners were afraid. These are professional sailors. But they, don't, they don't become afraid easy. Not much scares them. They've been out on the ocean plenty. Yet this storm is so severe that they are scared. They believe this storm is breaking up the ship. They believe they are certainly going to die. And their fear leads them to cry out to their gods. And they begin to hurl their cargo overseas, over into the sea. Now, in this chapter, I want to highlight five responses we see to God. And every one of these responses, so many of us have responded to God in this way. The first one, first response was Jonah's response. He runs from God. When God calls him to something, he runs. That's the response of many people. God calls you to obedience. He calls you to faithfulness. He calls you to generosity. He calls you to care for others. He calls us to love him, to worship him. We often run from God. Now we see the second response, and it's these sailors. They respond to a storm by trying to clean things up. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a storm that's come. And know this, every one of us here will encounter storms in life. You're going to encounter pain, difficulty, suffering. That's guaranteed. We're all going to have storms. Our storms may look different from another person's, but we're going to have them. How do we respond to the storm? These men, it says, they begin to throw everything into the ocean to lighten it up. They respond by cleaning up. That's how still people often respond today. Some people will be in the midst of a storm and they'll think like, if I can just get my life right, if I can just be good enough, if I can just clean my life up enough, then I'll be okay. So they begin to throw all the sin, all the excess baggage, all the bad habits. They're looking to throw them overboard. And here, that's what these guys do. But look at what Jonah's doing. Halfway through verse 5. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. That word for fast asleep in the Hebrew, it's a deep, deep, deep sleep. My family, we just returned from, from the United States and jet lag is a very real thing. Jet lag is when you cross time zones. Well, we crossed eight hours of time zones so right now, literally, in the United States, it's the middle of the night. People are asleep. So when you cross those, you experience something called jet lag. Many have, had, have experienced that. It's a very difficult thing to get over. Well, I told my family, I said, listen, the worst thing you can do is take a nap when you're supposed to be awake. You've got to stay awake and get through it because if you sleep in the middle of the day, it's going to make it harder for your body to get over jet lag. Well, sure enough, I found one of my boys laying in his bed, fast asleep. So I went in there, and I began to shake him. 
and say his name. And he didn't wake up. So the shaking increased to the point of near violence as I was shaking his whole body back and forth and he refused to wake up. That's the type of sleep Jonah was in. There's a storm going on. Everybody else is awake. They're all panicked. They're all afraid. And yet Jonah is fast asleep. See, here's what Jonah's done. Jonah has made peace with his sin. Now, we don't like to think that way. But we often operate that way. We'll make peace with the sin in our lives. We'll say it's okay. Hey, that, that wasn't really gossip. That, that was just an extended prayer request. We just kept on talking, you know, longer about it. But it was all in prayer request. It wasn't gossip. Or, or hey, that wasn't um, a parent gets mad at their child for doing something disobedient. You know, I wasn't angered. My anger didn't lead me to sin and yelling and screaming at him. No, I was just trying to train them up in the way of the Lord. Or somebody will seek for power for personal gain and they'll say, no, I'm, I'm not seeking it for personal gain, really. I'm just exercising my leadership gifts that God has given me. Or someone will look a little too long at someone that they find physically attractive and find their gaze looking at them and they'll say, no, that wasn't lust. No, I was just appreciating that all people are made in God's image and I was just finding that valuable. You see, we'll find all sorts of ways to make peace with the sin that we struggle with. We medicate ourselves with sin often instead of with the presence and the word and our trust in God. And that's what Jonah is doing. He's medicating himself. He's at peace with his sin. He's at peace with having run. He's at peace with his rebellion. And they come and wake him up. And the captain speaks to him the same way God does. Arise. God told Jonah to arise. He tells him to arise. He says, call out to your God. Thinking perhaps Jonah's God will save him. And in verse 7, we see a third response that the sailors have. They came to one another and they said, Let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. These sailors see a storm, and the storm is so large, so out of the ordinary, that they say, this must have come from God. Somebody must be in rebellion against God. We've got to figure out who it is, so they cast lots. It was something used in the ancient world to figure out the will of God. We don't exactly know what it was, but that's what they do. So here we see what these men do, their response to the storm is to try religion. Try religious practices. That's the third point. I think we've got it maybe for the screen. So these men, they're trying their false religion. And oftentimes, we, when a storm comes, we go, oh, there's a storm in my life. I've just got to get back to church. There's a storm in my life. I've just got to get my prayer life right. There's a storm in my life. I've got to read the Bible more. There's a storm in my life. I, I've got to do more religious practices. I've got to pray more. I've got to do whatever it is. That's what these men are trying. They're casting lots. And the lot, notice it falls on Jonah. And they begin to ask him questions. Who are you? Where are you from? What's your occupation? What people are you? 
Now, they probably knew some of that because they picked Jonah up in Joppa, which is where is a part of Israel. But Jonah answers them, I'm a Hebrew. And listen to this. This is verse 8. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Jonah still has a fear of God, yet he runs from God. So can someone who's a Christian and a believer and trusted in God run from him? Absolutely, it happens all the time. Can a Christian still place their hope in religious practices more than they do Christ himself? Can a Christian still place their hope in good works or cleaning up their life? Absolutely. And here, Jonah tells them he fears the God who made the heaven and the sea and dry land. See, they're out in the sea with a storm and they want to get to dry land. I fear the God who made the storm. I fear the God who made dry land. I fear the God who's over all this. I fear the God who sent this. At this, in verse 10, the men are even more afraid because they know he's trying to run from the presence of God. Then they ask him, what shall we do to make this quiet down? What do we need to do to bring peace to this situation? And he tells them in verse 12, listen to what Jonah says, pick me up and throw me overboard. Jonah could have said other things. He could have said, God, I repent. I'll go to Nineveh. I hear you. Y'all take me back to shore and drop me off and I'll obey God. He doesn't do that. Kill me. Throw me overboard. Certain death. I would rather die than obey God right now. That's how much he doesn't want to go to the Ninevites. Throw me overboard. And look at the mercy of these sailors. In verse 13, nevertheless, they rowed hard. They don't want to throw him overboard. So they begin to row even harder and harder and harder, trying to make it to shore. And that's the fourth response that we see in this passage that Christians or anyone has to God in the midst of storms. Try harder. Good works. Your effort. You can do enough. But see, our, our faith is not one of works. Works don't save us. Christ has done it all. He saved us. Works flow out of it. But these men are trying to do works in order to save themselves. And no matter how hard you try, you can't work hard enough to save yourself. You can't work hard enough to come out of that eternal storm. So here the men... They row harder, but they can't get back. The sea, in fact, it grows more and more tempestuous. It grows more and more a worse storm. And in verse 14, it says, Therefore they cry out to God. Listen to this. These pagan sailors who do not believe in God begin to pray to God. Jonah's testimony leads them to trust God. Jonah is a rebellious prophet who, in spite of himself, God used him to accomplish his purpose. These sailors begin to trust God. We're going to see it in their words and what it says. It says, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done 
it done as it pleased you. So these, the fifth thing we see in the midst of the storm, these mariners try a difficult obedience. That's our fifth thing. I think we've got that maybe for the screen as well. What do I mean by that? Be obeying God is often difficult. God calls us at times to hard things. Things that we don't know how it's going to work out. And Jonah is called to go to the most difficult people, the most fearsome people that he could ever imagine. The people he says, I'll go anywhere probably but there. Don't send me to Nineveh. And that's who God has called him to. And these sailors now make the difficult choice. We don't want to throw them overboard. We've tried everything else. So we're going to trust and throw him overboard. They don't know how this is going to work out. They're afraid. They don't want his life on their hands. Yet it says in verse 15, they picked him up and hurled him. Second time we hear that word hurled. God hurls a storm. The sailors hurl Jonah into the storm. And it's at that that the sea ceased from raging. Now peace comes. Jonah's name, Dove, peace comes as Jonah is thrown into the sea. I think it's interesting that God uses someone who is rebellious to lead others to trusting in God. That's some of our stories. In fact, that's all of our stories. The people who told us the gospel, they were not perfect people, they were struggling. Some of you have had people impact your faith who've turned and walked away from the faith. Some of you have people who've impacted your faith and encouraged you, who fell into deep sin that's damaged their life and brought havoc and chaos. But that doesn't count, discount that God uses people who are broken. God can even use people that deny him, people that rebel from him. And God uses Jonah in these sailors' life and the sea ceases, peace comes. And in verse 16, I believe this is where we see that these men have trusted in God to the point of salvation. They feared the Lord exceedingly and they vowed and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They worship God through sacrifice. They praise Him. And they offer vows of commitment to God. These sailors are converted in the midst of Jonah's rebellion. And now in verse 17. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the part of the story that is the most famous. Jonah getting swallowed by a fish. This is the part of the story that many will struggle to believe. But as I mentioned, Jesus uses this to picture his own resurrection. Jesus believed this is true. But also notice what it says, Lord appointed a great fish. Throughout this book, you're going to see God call and appoint different people and things and everything obeys God. All creation obeys God. A storm, God sends it. God hurls a sea. The ocean obeys God. The sailors, 
obey God and throw Jonah over sea, over into the sea. We're going to see a worm later in this book obey God. We're going to see the sun obey God and beat on Jonah's head. We're going to see a fish obey God. We're going to see everyone obey God except Jonah. Jonah is the one who's rebellious. And that's what's ironic about this book. The prophet of God is the one who rebels. It's the heathen, the heathen sailor who obeys God. It's the ocean that obeys God. It's the worm that obeys God. It's all creation that obeys God, but not Jonah. God uses Jonah in spite of Jonah. God uses Jonah because God can use anyone for his purpose. But I don't think any of us want to be like Jonah. Not in the sense that we're used in the midst of our rebellion. We want to see God use us in the midst of our faithfulness. You see, all creation will bring glory to God. Scripture declares in Romans 8.28 that God works all things together for good. I don't fully understand that, but somehow God is taking all that's in this world, all that's happening, and weaving it together for His glory, for His good, for His name, and His fame. Some of those people are used for the good and glory of God in spite of their acknowledgement and in the midst of their rebellion. They don't know him, but God can still use them. Others, and I pray this is us, we're used in, by God in the midst of our faithfulness, in the midst of our submitting to him, in the midst of our trust of him. So this chapter almost has some humor in it. Everything obeys God except Jonah. And Jesus says this is a picture of, of him. Jonah's hurled into the sea because of his rebellion. Jesus, he's hurled into the sea. He goes to the cross because of your rebellion, because of my rebellion. He didn't get hurled into that sea because of his rebellion. It was because of our rebellion that he's cast out, that he's put on the cross. Yet he arises victoriously three days later because he had no sin. And he stands in our place to offer us eternity with God if we trust him. That's the glory of our Savior. You know, Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. To someone who is perishing, the message that God sent his Son into the world to take our sin to reconcile us to God, that sounds like foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, to those who have trusted in Christ, it is sweet, good news. And Scripture says it's the power of God. So when you, as you live your life, as you're in the midst of storms and difficulties and tragedies and struggles, where is the power of God in the midst of that? It's in the good news that while we were yet sinners, God sent Christ to die for us, to reconcile us to God. And that's where our hope rests. That's why we can wake up each day and go, hey, 
I'm going to encounter some people who aren't nice. I'm going to encounter some challenges, some difficulties today. Today's going to have some hardship. But guess what? My hope's not in this world. My hope's in Christ. And I can walk through this world because he's with me. He's with us in the midst of the storm. I pray we don't forget that. If you're here today and maybe you've never trusted in the good news of Jesus Christ, I pray that today might be the day of salvation. And for those of us who have trusted Christ, I pray that we be reminded that we are prone to wander. We are prone to run. Yet we, can, we need to be reminded of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ to be with us through all life's circumstances and through the storms and that he is sufficient and he is enough. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Your word is good. Your word is true. We can trust your word. We can stand on your word. Lord, I thank you that you put stories in the Bible that teach us truth about who you are. You are so glorious and so mighty that you can use all of creation to bring glory to your name. You can even use a rebel for your purposes. And Lord, we're glad that you use rebels for your purposes because that's all of our stories. We were all once rebels who ran from you and yet you rescued us through your son Christ. And Lord, we confess that we are still prone to wonder and prone to rebel. Lord, remind us of the good news of the gospel. Help us to cling tight to the cross of Jesus and his sufficiency. And Lord, if there's any here today that need to do business with you, that need to confess, that need to talk to you, may they do so today. May they do so even as we close in song. In Jesus' name, amen.